go inward, to be quiet, to step out of the familiar, uh, to nourish, to renew, to find faith, to find clarity, wisdom, understanding. So it's a very precious thing that you've done. And the hardest thing that you will probably do is getting here today. I know for a lot of you, it's a lot just to, to, to extricate yourselves from your lives, even for two or three days. Um, I know a lot of you were probably pretty busy up until you came. So that's the hard work. Actually, once you get here, you can, you can relax. You can kind of let go of the busyness and the striving to get here. The retreat center is purpose-built. The retreat that we've designed is designed to really maximize and support you in your time here. So, um, so I encourage you to relax and, and, and just settle into whatever is presented here, whatever, whatever the flow of the day is. There's a reason why we do all the things that we've, we do, and we've been doing them for a long time, so... Um, it will, for some of you, f- um, it might appear a little unusual, some of the things that we do. The schedule might not be what you're used to, or the food. Um, so there can be an adjustment period of settling in. One of the things that I take a lot of comfort in when I, when I, when I practice in this tradition is that it didn't just get made up last week or last year or down in Esalen, you know, last set, last decade. Uh, this practice, this Buddhist tradition has been going along steadily for 2,600 years and has spread to uh, most countries around the planet, particularly in Southeast Asia. And so it's really a tried and, tra- tried and tested practice that it works. The good news is it works. The practice of mindfulness, of awareness, of cultivating the heart, cultivating the mind, works. So I take a lot of um, uh, trust in that, that this is something that's really been put to the test. So one of the main things that we have to do when we get to a retreat is to um, practice letting go. And we practice letting go in a lot of different ways. One of the main things that we uh, will be encouraging you and that, you'll, that will happen over the days um, is to let go of the, the frenzied pace at which you live your life. The busyness, the fastness, the multitasking, the doing, 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 doing. I'm assuming one or two of you have a you know, fast-paced life and do a lot, multitask. Anybody feel like there's not enough time in the, in the day to do all the things you need to do? I'm, I'm glad I'm in good company. There's something I'd like to read that I think is, um, sort of describes a little bit our lives. It's by Amy Rosenthal from, I think it's from the New York Times, the Chicago Tribune. It's called Sweet Nothing. How have you been, she asks. Busy. How's work? Mm, Busy. How's your week? Good. Busy. You name the question, busy is the answer. Yes, yes, I know we are all terribly busy doing terribly important things, 
but I think more often than not, busy is simply the most acceptable knee-jerk response. Certainly there are more interesting, more original, and more accurate ways to answer the question, how are you? Like, I'm hungry for a burrito, or I'm envious of my best friend, or I'm frustrated by everything that's broken in my house, or just I'm itchy. Yet busy stands alone as the easiest way of summarizing all that you do and all that you are. I am busy is the short way of saying or implying my time is filled, my phone does not stop ringing, and you therefore should think well of me. Have people always been this busy? Did cavemen think that they were busy too? Boy, this week's crazy. I've got 10 caves to draw on. Can I meet you by the fire next week? I have a hunch that there's a direct correlation between the advent of coffee bars and the increase in busyness. Look at us, we're all pros now, hailing cabs, making Xeroxes, carpooling, performing surgery with a to-go cup in hand. We're skittering about like hyperactive gerbils, high just not, not just on caffeine, but on caffeine's luscious byproduct, productivity. Ah, the joy of doing, accomplishing, and crossing off. As kids, our stock answer to most every question, what did you do at school today, or what's new, was nothing. In our country's history, there have been only seven kids who responded with a statement other than nothing. <laughs> then somewhere on the way to adulthood, we each took a 180-degree turn. We cashed in on nothing for busy. I'm starting to think that like the youth, the word nothing is wasted on the young. Maybe we should try reintroducing it to our grown-up vernacular. Nothing, I say to myself a few times, and I can feel myself becoming more quiet, decaffeinated, Zenish, nothing. Now I'm picturing emptiness, a white blank, a couple of ducks gliding on a still pond. Nothing, nothing, nothing. How do we get so far away from it? So I really like that piece of beautiful piece of writing because it really summarizes for a lot of us, not everybody, how we've become human doings not human beings, we become homo shoppians. <laughs> so we get caught up in that frenzy. Natalie Goldberg, who's a wonderful writer and Buddhist teacher, once wrote, stress is an ignorant state. It believes that everything is an emergency. Nothing is that important. So we get caught up in the business, we get caught up in the stress, we get caught up in that everything has to be done yesterday. So on retreat, we have a few days to let go of that. There's nothing really to do. There's nowhere really to go. The main practice is simply be present. Be present to whatever's happening. So you, there's no point in rushing because the, the next thing you're rushing to is to be present. So you may as well be present right here. So we're letting go of this habit of always l running ahead of ourselves, looking ahead, trying to get ahead, trying to get somewhere, be somebody, better ourselves, fix ourselves. When This isn't a self-improvement workshop. This isn't a self-improvement class. We're learning actually to let go of that habit and to simply try to remember or to relearn to be who we are. Lao Tzu once said the most important thing to do in life wonderful Chinese philosopher, the most important thing to do is to be. And mostly we've forgotten how to be. How often do you give yourselves 
a half a day or a day where you just do nothing. You just be without being racked with guilt. You know, oh my God, you know, all the things I should be doing and I could have done and accomplished. And so here we get to be and it's a delicious gift. And part of the, part of the way we, we do that is um, we slow down. We learn to do uh, one thing at a time. We don't need to multitask here. So, um, as I said, there's nowhere to rush to, so we can slow down. I'd like to read a poem from my, one of my favorite poets, Billy Collins, about slowing down and doing one thing at a time. He writes, I am under the covers waiting for the heat to come up with a gurgle and a hiss and the banging of the water hammer that will frighten the cold out of the room. And I am listening to a blue singer named Precious Bryant singing a song called Fool Me Good. If you don't love me, baby, she sings, would you please try to fool me good? I am also stroking the dog's head and writing down these words, which means I, that I am calmly flying in the face of Buddhist advice to do only one thing at a time. Just pour the tea, just look into the eye of the flower, just sing the song one thing at a time. And you will achieve serenity, which is what I would love to do as the fan blades of the morning begin to turn. If you don't love me, baby, she sings, as the day moon fades in the window and the hands circle the clock, would you please try to fool me good Yes, precious, I reply. I will fool you as good as I can. But first I, have to but first I have to learn to listen to you with my whole heart. And not until you have finished will I put on my slippers, squeeze out some toothpaste, and make a big foamy face in the mirror. Freshly dedicated to doing one thing at a time, one note at a time for you, darling, one tooth at a time for me. So, as we'll say over the days, this practice is very simple. Pay attention, be present, come back into this moment, which we so happily like to escape from or avoid, one thing at a time. It can be easy when we come on retreat to make a project out of being on retreat. Very easy for the mind, for the ego to think, well, I'm going to do this right, I'm going to do this best, I'm going to be the best meditator, and I'm going to, you know, really leave this person, that, leave this retreat a changed person. And so we make a project out of doing nothing. I'm going to do nothing really well, whatever that looks like. You know, I'm going to sit here and be as empty as the Buddha. So just notice that. Notice what you bring to the retreat. It's not a competition. We one of the reasons we have retreats is it's a beautiful, supportive environment. We're here with 90 people who have a, a similar shared interest in learning to understand themselves, in wanting to learn to meditate, in wanting to be more conscious, in wanting to be more kind. So it's a beautiful thing that we can enjoy each other's support. So as I said, when we come on retreat, it's a practice of simplicity. It's a practice also of renunciation. We give up a lot of things when we're here. We give up our roles and our jobs and our, some of those are may, maybe not so difficult to give up, but we also give up our favorite foods or being with our friends or loved ones and the comfort of our bed. And we come into a perhaps unfamiliar environment 
and we have to let go of control over the schedule of our life, of the day, of what we eat, of what we do. And so it requires a quality of letting go, of, of re- renouncing the, the, the fixation to want to control everything and have everything a certain way. Because as you know, that doesn't work, right? We try to control everything, and what happens? Life comes in and does something different. So mainly what we're doing is we're stripping our lives uh, to the bare essentials. We make things very simple for you. So all you have to do is get up in the morning, wander over into the hall, do some walking meditation, wander down to eat, come back up in here, sit and walk. As you see, the schedule is very full from 5.30 in the morning, 5.45 in the morning till 9.30 at night. But it's full of nothing. It's full of doing nothing except being. Whether you're sitting and being present, you're walking and being present, eating and being present. But really, there's actually not a lot going on except what's happening in your mind. And that's, of course, always pretty entertaining and uh, busy. So we'll work with that. We'll talk about working with that. You know, we, we, we live in a culture where we use our minds a lot and we think a lot. So naturally, when we come to a retreat where there's not a lot going on, um, much as you might have fantasized about this weekend of bliss and thought-free ecstasy, um, you may find that's not quite the case because you've actually dragged your mind here with you. Uh, you didn't check it at the parking lot. So we bring our habits and our personality and our history and our memories and our thinking. And so we, we work with that. We work with our heart. We work with whatever we bring from our lives here. So everything that happens on the retreat is, uh, we regard it as, um, everything is what we call practice. And when, we, when I use the word practice, I mean everything is, is um, How do I say that? Everything, we use everything as an opportunity to be present, to understand. So it's not that there's some practice, some things are good, some are bad, some should be here, some shouldn't be here. Whatever is here is okay. Uh, The invitation, the practice is to see how we can be with it. Can we be with it with awareness, with attention, with kindness, with interest? And that's particularly so with the stuff that you don't like. You know, we all want to be with the stuff that's, that's juicy and fun and beautiful and refined and quiet. But it's, you know, we're not so interested about being with, you know, physical pain and emotional heartache and loneliness or fear or anxiety. And yet, you know, for some of you, some of those things will come up from time to time. Whatever happens in your life will probably appear at some point during this weekend. So the invitation is to, how do we be with that? How do we relate to ourselves? How do we relate to what comes into our heart, into our minds? And then one of the reasons I asked uh, in that exercise you did with, with somebody 
what your intention is for being here, because uh, it's really important to remember what brought you here, especially when you're in the middle of a day of sitting and walking and it feels difficult or arduous or tedious or unpleasant in some way, and the thought comes up, what, what am I doing here? What, why did I sign up for this weekend? Why didn't I go to, you know, Mexico or somewhere or, you know, to a spa? Why did I come to a, this meditation thing? What's this about? So when we can remember what our intention is, it can help guide uh, our time here. And sometimes the intention can be as simple as wanting to learn how to be present. If all that happens this weekend is you learn a little bit about how to be a little more kind, a little more aware, a little more present, that that will be a huge success. So keeping the, the, the expectation realistic. Sometimes we have these expectations that are really hard to fulfill. We have very high standards. And then at the end we think we failed. So notice the expectations you bring, especially if you've done a retreat before or you've heard about what retreats are like. Notice the expectation. Notice how you might try and fit the experience into the expectation. Well, my buddy had this really great, blissful, kind of cool retreat, so that's what I'm going to have. Who knows? You know, maybe you will, maybe you won't. You will get whatever experience you get, whatever experience needs to happen. Also, good to remember that... Um, I know for most of you, this is, this is a new practice. This is a new thing to do, a retreat practice. And um, spiritual practice, if you haven't learned this already, is pretty slow. Uh, we like the idea of instant enlightenment and all the light bulbs go off and boom, we're in nirvana, and then we kind of cruise into spiritual retirement for the rest of our lives. My experience, and watching the experience of others, um, is that spiritual practice and spiritual development is happens pretty slowly because we're creatures of habit and our habits change slowly. Insights and awakenings can be very spontaneous and very instantaneous. But the actual integration and learning how to live that stuff is a slow practice. So we need patience. Patience is a really essential quality in, in the meditation journey. Patience with ourselves, patience with our mind for being so wily and... Um, meandery, patience with our heart, patience with our body when it doesn't want to sit still for 45 minutes, or patience with our desire to know everything, to know what's what, to know, to want to understand everything. We'll, pre we'll present many Buddhist teachings, uh, and as if you stay on this path, uh, what you'll discover is we, we, we give the same teachings again and again and again in different formats, in different ways. But essentially, there's, 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 there's a few very core teachings that we teach that we need to hear again and again and again because the, the, um, the depth of them is profound and there's many levels which we can understand them. So be patient with the part of the mind that wants to get everything and understand it all and have it fit into a certain box. Um, this is from the poet Rilke. 
He says, have patience with everything unresolved in your heart and to try to love the questions themselves as if they were locked rooms or books written in a very foreign language. Don't search for the answers which could not be given to you now because you would, you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps then someday far in the future, you will gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. So this is a Vipassana retreat. Vipassana simply means seeing clearly, seeing things as they are. And you may think to yourself, well, you know, I see things as they are. What's, what's the big deal, seeing Vipassana? And often when we pay attention, we begin to see that we actually we don't see things as they are. We see things through a kind of a, 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 a veil or a lens of our own perception we see things often distorted through our likes and dislikes, our preferences, our attachments. So Vipassana practice is utilizing a quality of mindfulness. Mindfulness simply means a a simple bare attention, a simple knowing what's happening when it's happening, something that's already innate to to our experience. When you hear the sound of the bell, How many of you had to make a lot of effort to hear the bell? You had to make effort? Are you sure? Are you ignored it? <laughs> so, if you mostly, sound appears, and if we're present, what happens? We notice it. So we're utilizing this quality, this natural quality of attention that we have, the ability to know what's happening when it's happening. And then we apply this attentiveness, this attention to understand ourselves, to understand our human condition. We use this lens of attention, of mindfulness, to look more closely into who we are, into what we are. Because mostly our attention we're like, you know those, those glasses you get where the eyes pop out, you know? We're kind of like that. We sort of, our eyes are like six feet out of our body, looking around at everything. And, oh, wow, look, Buddhas, flowers, Diana, wow. And we rarely actually are attentive to what's going on in here, in our bodies, in our mind, in our heart. And so uh, on the retreat, the attention is actually turned inward. We're interested in our own experience because we can, as the Buddha said, by understanding just this fathom-long body, we can understand the universe. Everything you need to understand about life, we can understand through understanding our body. He said even just by simply being mindful of the body, um, that alone um, is a vehicle to enlightenment, a vehicle to awakening. So this practice is a very much an in-the-body practice. Sometimes there's an idea of meditation being out of the body, kind of blissful and kind of checking out into some blissful realm. 
this practice is very embodied. Where we're learning how to be in our bodies. Most of us live from the eyebrows upwards. For whatever reason, not being so comfortable in the body. There's an expression, you know, often the term, for, the term for awakening is waking up. There's a teacher, local teacher here, who has a practice called waking down. And I like that expression. We're waking down into our bodies. We partly practice being mindful of the body because the body is always in the present moment. If you're aware of your body and the senses, hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, where are you? You're here in this moment. We'll spend a lot of time trying to establish attention in the present moment because that's really where everything's happening. The mind likes to be anywhere else but the present. In the future, in the past, speculation, so we're training ourselves to be in our bodies, and so we use the breath, we use walking meditation, we use awareness of the body as we sit. And it's a very delicious, beautiful thing to be embodied. I just came from a, a dance performance um, this afternoon uh, with, a, with a really beautiful dance teacher called Anna Halperin, who's a local dance teacher, movement teacher, and she's probably about 80 now. And she, it was this before, she gave this performance uh, in a redwood grove, um, and she was animating sculptures. R- Rodin, the, the French sculptor, she was animating his sculptures into movement. And it was just so beautiful to see people so embodied, so in their bodies, and so aware of every subtle movement, muscle, nuance of bone and articulation. And it was just pure delight and pleasure to, to, to see what that quality of embodiment's like. So we're sort of, we're leaning towards that as we practice here. As well as cultivating a quality of mindfulness, we're cultivating a quality of kindness. This, this practice can sometimes feel or appear to be kind of cool and detached because and, we talk about observing and paying attention. But we're really also encouraging you to bring a heartful presence to whatever's happening that we really include the heart as we, as we mature and practice. So we're, so we're learning to meet any experience, any aspect of ourselves with kindness, with care, with a warm attention. So lastly, I just want to say a few things about um, things that support your time here. And Diana will talk about some of the supports I want to mention a couple. Uh, one of them is um, silence, as I'm hoping you, all of you know the retreats in silence. And we'll start silence tonight, and we'll break silence on Sunday morning. So the next Sunday afternoon. Sunday afternoon. So the next, I don't know, 48 hours or less, will be <coughs> in silence. And um, it's a beautiful gift. Also, it's a very rare thing to have silence in our, in our culture. Maybe you're silent when you're on your own in your house. But to be silent in community in this beautiful land, um, I hope some of you have already taken the chance to, to walk here. It's such, we're so blessed to be in such beautiful landscape. And you'll also sense the silence of the land. You'll go outside and you'll hear the crickets at night. And the silence of the land and the supports the silence on the retreat. 
And silence, as you know, is a, is a doorway to the sacred, doorway to, to depth, the doorway to, to wisdom. When, we, when, we, when, our, when our being and our hearts and minds attune to the outer silence, when we become more silent inside, we see more clearly. It's one of the reasons we, we emphasize not talking and being in silence is it allows the mind to calm down. Anything that supports the mind to calm down so we can relax and see more clearly, so we can cultivate insight into the truth. Vipassana is an insight practice that lets us see into the truth of what's happening. This is a quote from Thomas Merton, who is a wonderful writer and poet and spent much of his life in a Trappist monastery in silence. He said, the solitary life being silent clears away the smokescreen of words that man has laid down between his mind and things. In solitude, we remain face to face with the naked being of things. And yet we find that the nakedness of reality, which we have feared, is neither a matter of terror nor for shame. It is clothed in the friendly communion of silence. And this silence is related to love. The world our words have attempted to classify and control and even to dispose of because they couldn't contain it comes closer to us. For silence teaches us to know reality by respecting it where word, words have defiled it. So as I mentioned a second ago, um, another powerful support for the retreat here is, is the nature, is the beauty. I remember just walking up the hill and uh, watching the turkeys picking up, picking the, the, uh, the seeds in the grass as they're still on the long stalks, just with that beautiful mindful attention, aware of you, aware of the stalks, aware of the grass. You know, the, the, the nature here really does support a slowing down and an opening of the heart to joy, to beauty, this, uh, to love. My, one of my favorite places to practice, and you'll be doing a lot of walking meditation outside um, and hopefully enjoying the blessing of, of that. So the last thing I want to say is... Um, a couple of last things. <laughs> um, one, one, one teaching that one of my teachers uh, talks about at the beginning of retreat is he talks about practicing without a discipline and inner spaciousness. So the outer discipline is committing to doing the form, the, dis- the discipline of practice of showing up in the morning, doing the sitting, doing the walking meditation, coming to the talks, encouragement to follow the form that we set out for you because it supports your practice. But doing it with an inner spaciousness, not doing it with a kind of grimness. Mindfulness isn't about being grim or being serious or being dour. Um, it can look kind of serious when, you, when people go into silence and are being very uh, inward focused. It can look kind of serious. It's a certain gravitas. Some people can look kind of dour. Um, don't be fooled by how, what people look like because often the inner experience is very different than the actual outer appearance. Uh, as you'll see at the end of the retreat, people who may have looked very serious and grim suddenly you know, 
like a bubbling spring at the end of when, when we break silence. So to practice with a certain lightness and joy and ease, this practice is about cultivating happiness, understanding happiness and the causes of happiness, the Buddha said, letting go of the causes of suffering, cultivating the causes of happiness. So, so we'll be guiding you through the days. We'll have guided meditations, instructions for the meditation in the morning with the sitting and the walking. There'll be talks in the evening. All of you will be seen in a group. So you'll have a, a one chance to meet with one of us for an interview to just talk about what's happening in your practice. Uh, so there'll be plenty of time to ask questions. Um, so you'll be, you'll be guided along in the process. So we're not going to just say, adios, see you in 48 hours. Um, so that's all I have to say for now. Um, Diana's, Diana's going to share some words, and then we'll do a little meditation before we end. But I mainly just want to say welcome, and I'm so glad you're here, and it's going to be a great retreat, and I wish many, many blessings for you. This talk was given by Mark Coleman at Spirit Rock Meditation Center on May 18, 2007. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.